Shavuotov, everybody. Shavuotov. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Last week of our uh, weekly Selichot program, it's always very exciting to get to this moment. See that we were very successful the past couple of weeks. And at uh, the same time, it's very sad to see it come to a close. Uh, there's a lot of people that would like to think in order to make this event happen. Um, Mr. Nisan Zavi, Moshe Burzan, Avi Shulin, Daniel Shemtov, the Kavyan family, Yehuda Fakheri, Mr. Alan Kwambash, Manuel Rahmani, Ruben Bachor Dazadeh, who every week uh, arranged the, the video uh, recording for us. Thank you so much for putting everything together. The, the sound system, which as you see, we upgraded the past couple of weeks. Uh, Mr. Ephraim Levi Chaim, Shair Fakheri, Elliot Rambod, Daniel Rambod, uh, Alicia Fakheri, and uh, of course, Sharoch Rambod. Thank you so much, who every single week for the past year has been, he's been dedicating his time to get, get these speeches arranged. Thank you for everything you've done for the entire community. Um, uh, tonight's food has been sponsored by Mr. Raman Kwambash, the Nishmat Sharoch's father. So everyone, please have in mind when you, when you make a barachot, that is Neshmash Ve'aliyah. Before I, I introduce or I answer the come up, I just wanted to say that there are these sheets around on all the tables. Uh, past couple of weeks, cost a lot of money. And if everybody could take out their phones, they could scan out the barcodes, you could see. Uh, this will get you directly to our PayPal account, to our Zelle account, and you could help donate to this cause. All the money is spent towards making more programs. This way we could get together more often. We could have something that's spiritual, that's, uh, um, like, that's uplifting. And Vezat Hashem, we're going to have more and more programs in the future. This program started 11 years ago. And I don't know if, I don't know if anybody remembers. A lot of you guys are too young to remember this. But I Mansur was the first speaker that we got. And now 11 years later, we have him again. It's a big zakhut for our community. Thank you so much for, for joining us again. The last time we were, we were by SLC, and I don't know if everybody remembers, he was saying, why are you guys in SLC? You guys have your own shul. And it's true, we do have our own shul, and now we are here. Now, you, you, now we're, we're welcoming you to our own shul. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, there's still people coming in, so I guess just give it a couple of minutes. The master asked for some tea, so I said Persian tea. A little hospitality. Not a bad. I have you. Not a bad. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> It's always a pleasure to be in front of this Kahal Kadosh, a historical and very traditional community 
the Persians, it's well known, have great admiration for your great rabbis, Rabbi Balanes, and of course, the great Rabbi Balanes Sr., who was considered one of the, the Gedolei Yisrael, is uh, Baruch Hashem, benefiting from all these families that he had so much to do with. And uh, it's amazing to see how many people come out, Moseh Shabbat, in order to do the Silihot and to be inspired by a few words of the Vret Torah. I know this is a very intellectual crowd, and there's nothing really that I could say that you don't know already. So pardon me if I be a little repetitive and say things that you might know already, but it's always good to be reminded. As a rabbi, my obligation on Shabbat Shuvah is to deliver a derasha. It's not in my contract, but nonetheless, it's understood that there's certain Shabbatot that the rabbi must address the congregation. Shabbat Gadol is one of them. Shabbat Shuvah is, of course, included. And the challenge that I have every year is to try to find a, a topic for the derasha. It has to be relevant, it has to be timely, and hopefully accepted by the Sibur. What I like to do is, I like to look for old Dirashot of rabbis of hundreds of years ago. I like things that are old, I like things that are authentic, things that are vintage. I want to say over things that the Gedolei Israel said to their communities, because I believe that as much as things have changed, they stay the same. We still have the Yetzirah, we still have the same challenges, and why not tap into what the Gedolei Israel in the old countries told their communities? And we have a lot of documents, we have a lot of these speeches that were uh, chronicled in different Sefarim. And in the past, I've quoted speeches from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300, even 500 years ago. There are short that the Benish Chai gave, there are short that Rav Chaim Palachi gave in Izmir, and there are short that Rav Hida gave in the Vorno. But tonight, I believe I found the oldest Dirasha ever given on Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah that we have documented. The speech was given over 2,000 years ago. And we have it. So to me, it's the most authentic, the most vintage, the most old, which is good. And uh, I'd like to share it with you. At first, it's not going to sound like a Shabbat Shuvah speech. And that's where you need my commentary to try to explain what this rabbi meant to say. You could find it yourself. It's in Gemara Hagiga, Dav Giman. Allow me to tell you the story. There was a rabbi called Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah. He was a great Tana of the Mishnah. He also was a member of the yeshiva at Yavne. When Rabbi Yoshua became old, he retired. And he moved to a city in the north of Israel called Piki'in. I was in Piki'in a few months ago. 
That's where the Bishamon Bar Yochai learned in his cave for 13 years. That's also the place where there was a great rabbi called Rabbi Oshaya Ishtiria. He's buried there. If anybody wants to have Yeshuot, they go to the grave of Rabbi Oshaya in Pekirin, and they usually come back with the request. He doesn't leave them unanswered. But also in Pekirin lived Rabbi Yeshua. Now we didn't visit his house, we don't know where he lived, but he's in that region. And he was old, and the rabbis, it says, came to visit him. And by the way, the Yeshua says to the rabbis, what was the discussion in the Bet Midrash today? And they said, no, Rabbi, we didn't come to teach you. We came to learn from you. And he said, no. In Midrash, below Hiddush. If there's a Midrash, there must be a Hiddush. Please tell me what was said. They said, Hasbe Shalom, we live from your mouth. We did not come to speak to you. We came to listen and learn. Not like today. Today, everybody that has a Hiddush comes and tells the rabbi, listen to what I have to say. Listen to what I thought. Listen to my new idea. And then the rabbi says, I also have a Hiddush. He says, no, I have to go. I'm sorry. In those days, the student would listen. And to listen, you have to be silent. Listen is the same otiyot as silent. So anyway, the rabbi said, please, just tell me who spoke. Who was the speaker, at least? He's trying to pry the information out. So he tried a different tactic. He said, just tell me who was the darshan. He said, it was Nabil Azar bin Azariyah. Good, we're getting somewhere. What was his topic? Well, he was Doresh. And Parashat Vayelech. Now that's this week's Parashat. Now it was a Shabbat, and it was Parashat Vayelech. Now usually Shabbat Parashat Vayelech is the Shabbat before Kippur, which makes it Shabbat Shuvah. So here we have now a Dirashah that was given by Rabbi Azar bin Azariah, Shabbat Parashat Vayelech, Shabbat Shuvah. I don't find an older derasha than this. So the Yeshua says, fine, I know who spoke. I know what parasha he spoke. What was the topic? Vayelech is not such a long parasha. It's only 40 pesukim. What topic? He talked about parashat hakel. What is hakel? Well, hakel actually is very pertinent because the law says, after seven years, the Shemitah cycle is over. Which is now. The aftermath of Shemitah, which is the month of Tishri. The Torah says all the Jewish people, men, women, and children, must make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they must go to the Beit HaMikdash. And there, the Jewish king gives a big derashah to the entire congregation. It's a conference of all the Jewish people, and everybody must attend. That was the topic that Rabbi Azar spoke about on Shabbat Shuvah. So Rabbi Yeshua says, and what did he say? Okay, fine. The Pasuk says, Hakel et ha'anashim ve'et ha'anashim ve'et ha'taf. Gather the men, the women, and children. 
So Rabbi Al-Azhar said, the men, I understand why they have to come to Hakel to learn. Men are obligated in Talmud Torah. Ladies, they also have to go. Maybe they're not obligated to learn Torah like the men, but the Shmoa, to hear the Vre Torah, to hear Musar. The rabbis there talked about the Tariyak Mitzvot, the ladies are obligated in many of the Mitzvot, Mitzvot Lotaaseh, Mitzvot Aseh Shiloh Hazman Gerama. The ladies are also obligated to go. I have no problem, said Rabbi Al Azad. But his question was, Taf. Why does the Torah mandate that the children have to go? And that's a good question because children are not obligated in Talmud Torah and they're not even obligated in mitzvot. As a matter of fact, maybe what happens in this shul, like it happens in my synagogue, the children only make noise. They come to synagogue, they run between the chairs, they play games, they disrupt, they distract. They really don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the speeches. They don't understand the, the, the Vret Torah. They're not obligated in the Vret Torah. To them, the shul is just a, uh, a place to have fun and a good time and run around. So therefore, in such an event called Hakel, why does the Torah say you must bring the children? Now, you might ask, well, if the parents have to come, somebody has to babysit for the children, and all the babysitters have to go also. So therefore, they have no choice but to bring the children. I anticipated that question. But I believe what he was saying was, so they should have a, a children's program at Hakel. Maybe a clown, a, a Ferris wheel, or some, some amusements. Bring them into a separate room and play games with them. But the Torah says, no. Hakel, Anashim, Anashim, Hataf. It sounds like that the children have to attend Hakel and they cannot be entertained in a uh, separate program. So the Bil Azab and Azaliyah's question was, why bring them? Make a separate program for them. They're only going to disrupt. There is no benefit for the children. So the Yoshua is listening to this Dirashah and he said, and what's the answer? He said, well, he answered, which means in order that the parents that brought the children will get reward. I'm not too sure I understand the answer, but that's what he was saying. That by bringing the children, the parents will get reward. Anyway, the B. Yoshua, when he heard this, he said, What? Margalit Tova Haitabiyatchem. You have a pearl in your hand. Such a derasha is a margalit tova. It's, it's more precious uh, than a, a, a precious pearl. A South Sea pearl. And this, you didn't want to tell me this? You wanted to deprive this hadush from me? How could you not tell me this hadush? And I'm asking a simple question. I mean, it's a hadush, I guess. But is it a margalit tova? I mean, hey, I told it to you. Nobody fell out of their chairs. <laughs> Nobody said, wow, it's good he told us this margalit. We feel deprived if we didn't hear it. It's a hadush. I mean, it's nothing, uh, 
Nobody's going to call their friend, eh? You have to hear what he said. It's a Gemara, it's a nice question. We don't even understand the answer. Why bring the children to give reward to the parents? But Rabbi Yoshua got so excited, and he says, how did you think not to tell this to me? So I'd like to tell you what we said in previous years, then I'll tell you a Hadush that I prepared for tonight. In previous years, we explained it according to the Benish Hai. The Benish Hai says, Really, why bring children to shul? And why bring children to hakel? What's, what's the real purpose of it? It seems it doesn't uh, benefit the children, and it only distracts the adults. The Benish Hai talks about, I guess, a religious science called religious osmosis. And what does he mean, religious osmosis? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. He doesn't use those words. He's talking about that although the child might not understand what's going on at the event, but the neshama absorbs all of it. And even though the child does not understand the speech or what's being said, the neshama absorbs every morsel of it. It seems that if you put the child in a good environment, so somehow the Torah and the Irat Shamaim will seep in. So you don't have to understand what's being said. But the benefit nonetheless will be by the children. And it'll give them Irat Shamaim. And when they grow up, they'll turn into God-fearing children because they experienced Hakir. Even though they were running around, even though they weren't paying attention, even though if you ask them when they get older, could you repeat something you heard at Hakel? We don't know anything. Remember our parents took us to Jerusalem. And remember there was a nice uh, place to run around over there. But what did you hear in the background? Uh, some rabbi was giving that a short. What did he say? Uh, who knows what he said? How are we supposed to know? We were, we were, we were six years old. But the Benish Hai says they are better off. Because when you put children in a good environment, then the Shema responds. And when they get older, they'll have Yirat Shamayim, and they'll have fear of God. If somebody has a Chumash, the uh, Barim, I'll actually show you in the Pasuk that the Pasuk supports the opinion of the Benish Hai. So the Pasuk writes. The parents will learn, the parents eventually, they'll observe. It's called the The parents have a benefit for learning and observing. But the children, but they don't know anything. They'll hear it. And what's the benefit? It'll bring them to have Yirat Shamayim. It is a lasting impression that this event will have on the children. 
So that was the Hadus of Rabbi Al-Azab and Azariah on, on Shabbat Shuvah. Take your kids to Akil. They'll benefit. Rabbi Yeshua heard this and said, Are you kidding? You didn't want to tell me this Hadush. I am the poster child of this Hadush. I am the living proof of this Hadush. This to me is a margalit You wanted to deprive this from me? Why? Rabbi Yoshua, when he was young, his mother used to take him to the Bet Midrash in the carriage as an infant, and she would sit in the ladies' section. And the baby, Rabbi Yoshua, he would absorb all the Devret Torah. Did he understand anything? He understood nothing. So why did his mother take him? Well, his mother must have known the secret. The mother of Rabbi Yeshua must have known what the Benish Hai said about religious osmosis. So she took him to the Bet Midrash. And Rabbi Yohanan, his Rebbe, must have also understood it. Because when Rabbi Yohanan looked at his student, Rabbi Yeshua, he said, you, Rabbi Yeshua, the credit of you is to your mother. Fortunate is the mother, because your mother was so smart. She knew to keep you in the Bet Midrash at a young, as a young child. Now the Yeshua always heard this. He heard that his mother said, I took you to the Bet Midrash. He heard from his Rebbe. But he never thought, what's the source of this? What's the source that if a child is in a good environment, he'll be influenced positively, even though he doesn't understand what's being done? But he said it, my rabbi said it, and my mother told it to me. Must be there's a source. And all of a sudden, many years later, he's an old man, and they say that the dirashah of Shabbat Shuvah of Rabbi Al-Azhar was what? Bring the children to Hakil. All of a sudden he jumped up. Bring the children to Hakil. Hey, that's my story. Why bring the children? To give reward to the parents. Because that's the best reward you can give the parents, that their children will have Yerat Shamayim. The most rewarding benefit that a parent can have is that his children grow up on the right derech, fear God, have the proper behavior, and have a proper conduct. So the Yoshua says, what? There's a source from the Torah for what my mother did? All those years when my mother took me to the Bet Midrash, it's actually rooted in the mitzvah of Hakel, bringing the children to Hakel. My mother knew this intuitively. So he says to them, Margalit tovai tabayitchem, you had a pearl. From all people you didn't want to tell me. This is the story of my life. This is not stama hidush. This is a hidush that impacts me. I've been looking for a source for my mother's behavior and for what she did for years. And now you tell me it's a pasuk and parashat bayelech. That's why he got all excited. But I would like to explain it even a little deeper. Uh, it's based on another Gemara. This Gemara is in Masikat Berachot. I think some of you know the story. There was a yeshiva called Yavne. This was the only yeshiva of the time. All the Gedolim and the Tzaddikim learned in Yavne. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfon, etc. And the Rosh Hashiva of Yavne was a very great rabbi. He was very strict. 
His name was Rabban Gamliel. And he ran the yeshiva with an iron fist. And he also had very strict policies. Who is allowed to enter the yeshiva? He believed that you can only accept kids into the yeshiva that are of quality. He was not interested in having a big yeshiva just with a, you know, a lot of kids. He wanted to have what he called tocho kevaro. Tocho kevaro means the children had to be genuine. They have to come and dress properly, the kevaro under the hand, serious learners, no fooling around, no, uh, no external uh, 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 you know, ideas. Pure. So the yeshiva was limited, obviously, under the Bangam Liel. It was successful, but limited. One day the Yeshua came in, this rabbi from Piki'in. It's when he was young. He came in, and uh, he had an argument with the Bangam Liel. Not a personal argument. Halakhot. Tefilat Arbit, Reshut, Choba. It's Mahlokit. So the Bangam was not happy that the Yeshua is arguing on the Rosh Hashiva. So we told him, Yeshua, this is not the first time you argued on me. Go stand in the corner. Now I also stood in the corner when I was in third grade for chewing gum in class. But I was in third grade. The Yeshua is a grown man. And here the Bangam of the air is making the great Rabbi Yeshua Embarrass him, go stand in the corner. The other rabbis in the yeshiva couldn't tolerate it. So they banged on the teva and they said, Rabotai, we need to replace the Rosh Hashiva. We want to take elections. Uh, even in those days, they had politics in the, in the yeshiva. They want to take elections. They told Rabbi Gamliel, please step down. He had no choice. Now the rabbis are deciding who should replace Rabbi Gamliel. So somebody said, Rabbi Yoshua? They said, no, it wouldn't be right because he's party to the dispute. Doesn't look good. Who else we have on the list? Ah, Rabbi Akiba? Akiba is great Rosh Hashifa. Yeah, but he doesn't have connections with the government. And we need somebody that has some uh, influence just in case the Goyim are going to make trouble. And Rabbi Akiba is not connected. Who else do we have? Oh, we have Rabbi Azab bin Azariah. He's a great Tamid Hakam. He comes from Ezra Sofer. He's connected. He has a lot of money, so he's connected to the government. Only thing is, he's young. He's only 18 years old. But, okay, where does it say that you cannot have a teenager to be the Rosh Hashiva? So they went to Rabbi Al-Azab and Azra and said, we want you to take the job. He said, wait, wait, wait. First of all, I'm a young man, and I cannot do anything unless I ask my wife. So he went home, he asked his wife, and his wife said, don't take it. So he came back and said, I'll take the job. <laughs> he didn't say he's going to listen to his wife. He said he has to ask his wife. Anyway, that night, you all know what happened to him. His beard turned miraculously white. And that's what we say in the Haggadah Shul Pesach, Amar Abil Azab and Azariah, he says, I was not 70, but I looked like 70. But he all that made a miracle that an 18-year-old should look like a 70-year-old. So when he came in the next morning, he said, oh, for the, for the journal of the yeshiva, 
looks very nice. They have a venerable uh, sage over there, and therefore it makes it more, you know, mekubal to the uh, to the people. Now there's a benefit to be the Rosh Hashiva because the Rosh Hashiva sets the policy of the Rishiva. And Abil Azam and Azariah had a very uh, polar opposite approach to education than Rabban Gamliel. Whereas Rabban Gamliel preached quality, Rabil Azam and Azariah preached quantity. His opinion was, whoever wants to enter the Beit Midrash to study Torah should be allowed. We should not only have an A class of scholars in the yeshiva. There should be an A class, a B class, a C class. We should have different levels. And we shouldn't judge the way the student comes in, how he's dressed. Even if somebody comes in, doesn't look fully, you know, into the dress code of the yeshiva. So long as he's not trouble, so long as he's not harming anybody, and he's not, uh, 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 you know, uh, and he wants to come to learn, so he said, from now on, we have laissez-faire policy, open-door policy. And he got rid of any of the entrance exams. And he said, if you want to study Torah and you're coming to learn, we're not going to start uh, judging if you're genuine or you're not genuine. Come learn. Was he successful? Well, the Gemara has, according to one version, on that first day, they added 700 benches to the Beit Midrash. Now, I'm not sure how many people fit on a bench, but if we would say even conservatively, five people fit on a bench, that's 3,500 students. That means the yeshiva exploded in one day. Quantity over quality. Now, what was it being Azar bin Azariyaz? Logic, what was his approach? What's his philosophy? His philosophy is that it's true you have a child or a student that is not yet holding. Maybe he has some uh, imperfections and deficiencies. But guess what? Start to teach the student Torah and the Torah makes a metamorphosis on a child and on a person. The Torah is the greatest changer of humans than any other force. Leave everything else, just study Torah. So he believed we could turn quantity into quality by giving them a sefer, by giving them a shi'ur, by teaching. Let them hear the sweetness of the pisukim. Let them hear the sweetness of the Talmud, the Gemara, let them hear the beauty of all the kshelot, uchuvot. And all of a sudden, in a short amount of time, there'll be a metamorphosis. Rabban Gimel held, no, no, we have no time for that. He had a different derech. Rabban, Rabbi Al-Azam and Aziah believed what the Gemara says. Halvai uti azbu v'torati shamaru she'or she'ba mahzira lemutav. The light of Torah is able to turn around anybody. This was his derech. I must tell you the end of the story because it's a, it's a good ending of the story. What happened was, Rabban Gabriel felt bad. He felt bad, he wanted to apologize to Rabbi Yoshua. So he went to Rabbi Yoshua's house. And he knocked on the door. 
And he says, yeah, who's there? He said, Rabbi Gamliel, what do you want? He said, I want to apologize. He said, save your breath. I don't want to accept your apology. Yoshua was offended. And he makes him stand in the corner three times. So he says, please, Rabbi Yoshua, don't do it for me. Do it for the honor of my grandfather. His grandfather was the great Rabbi Hillel. He says, for your grandfather, I cannot say no. For the honor of your grandfather, I forgive you, Mahalti. Hashem. He says, can we go back to the yeshiva together? I want everybody to see that we are friends again. Baruch Haba, let's go. They go back to the yeshiva. Everybody sees the two rabbis walking in. Ah, Baruch Hashem, peace in our time. They made shalom. Now the committee has to meet again. And the committee says, well, listen, the only reason why we got rid of Rabbi Gamliel is because he wasn't nice to the Yeshua, but now that he made up, we should give him his job back. They said, but wait, what do you mean give him his job back? We have a Rosh Hashimah, Rabbi Al-Azab He said, but he doesn't have a contract. <laughs> we just tell him, thank you very much for your service. We'll give him a few bucks and uh, have a good day. They said, no, 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 no. This is not over IBM. This is yeshiva. We have rules. The law is that once you elevate somebody, you cannot just demote him for no reason. We have a Rosh Hashiva, he must stay. What about Aman Gamliel? The reason that we deposed him doesn't apply anymore. So they said, you know what? We're going to do something unconventional. We're going to have two Rosh Hashivas in Yavne. Aman Gamliel and Rabbi Azza bin Azariah. If you thought they had politics with one Rosh Hashiva, anyway, now they had another dilemma. We have two Rosh Hashivas, but we only have one pulpit. Who's going to speak? I said, oh, that's a big problem. So they came out with a solution which they made a rotisserie. They said, three weeks of the month, Rabban Gamayel will speak, because he's the senior rabbi. Three out of four, he has the derash. And then one week, one week out of the month, Shabbat, Rabbi Azab bin Azariah. Now let's go back to Pekirin. Rabbi Yoshua, by the way, he knew this story very well. You know why he knew this story? Because he caused it. He was the catalyst of this whole story. It was Rabbi Yoshua that started the Mahloket with Rabbi Gamliel, stood in the corner, caused a, an upheaval, caused re-elections, and actually, if Rabbi Azar bin Azariah becomes Rosh Shiva, you know who he has to thank? He has to thank Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua was the, was the catalyst to bring Rabbi Azar bin Azariah to the Yeshiva. And if we could say it better, who was really responsible for the open-door policy of Yeshiva Yavne? Rabbi Yoshua. It put it this way, it came through him. And I asked, why did God use Rabbi Yoshua as the conduit to bring about this great change in the way they educated the students of the time? Why was he the one to bring this uh, change of system to the yeshiva? I have a theory. Because Rabbi Yoshua believed that Rabbi Al-Azhar's system is the right system. You know why? Because he was an infant. And when his mother took him to the yeshiva, he didn't even understand anything, and Torah made him better. 
So if Torah is able to influence an infant who doesn't even understand anything, Kalvahomer, an adult that has brains, that has understanding, certainly the Torah will be able to change him. So therefore, Rabbi Yoshua says, great idea, Rabbi Azar. Open the gates. The more students, the better. If infants can become better, so then certainly adults, Kalvahomer. So Rabbi Yoshua is very happy. Especially when they saw 3,500 new students come in. It was a beautiful. Let them learn for a couple of months. You're going to start to see the white shirts will come out. The black pants will come out soon. And you'll start to see they'll get rid of all their, uh, you know, their uh, gadgets and so on and so forth. But then the Yeshua got old. And he left Yeshivat Yavne. And he moved to Pekin. And he was wondering, I hope, I know there's a rotisserie. Now maybe... He's speaking for three weeks. And Nabi Al-Azab and Azab speaks for one week. Maybe the Bangam of the Ail reinstituted his policy. And that wouldn't be good. So the Bioshua, they didn't have emails or WhatsApp in those days or FaceTime, so he doesn't know what's going on in Yavne. Only way he can know is if he gets a visit. So they visit him. So he says, Who spoke this week? What do you mean who spoke? He's asking, was it Abang Gamliel or the Bil Azam and Azariah? They said, no, it happened to be this was the Bil Azam and Azariah. Wow. Shabbat Shuvah. What did he speak? He spoke about Hakel. What did he say? He said, bring the children, bring the children to Hakel. And why bring the children to Hakel? Bil Azam said, because you bring the children to Hakel. They'll get influenced and the Torah will change them. Rabbi Yoshua says, what? He's still talking that? He still has his opinion that Torah changes people? He didn't get influenced? He still has that same policy? This is a margalit for me. And you didn't want to tell it to me. I was responsible for getting this rabbi elected as Rosh Hashiva. And his policies actually came as a result of me. And now you're telling me that he's still loyal to the opinion that Torah changes people and Torah makes people better and therefore we don't judge the student before he comes into the yeshiva. We enter all of them in order for the Torah to do its magic. He says, wow, you didn't want to tell me? I'm the one that made this upheaval. And I'm happy that Abil Azar is still staying loyal to Shita and he didn't change. That the policy of open door still applies at Yavne. Good. Now we understand the Gemariot. But now we have to ask the main question of the night. I mean, great speech, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And I like the reaction of Rabbi Yoshua. I understand it finally. But what I don't understand is what kind of speech is that for Shabbat Shuvah? I mean, he didn't say the word Teshuvah once even in the speech. He didn't say Hatati, not Aviti, not Pashati. I mean, did you ever go to a Shabbat Shuvah speech and they're not talking about sins and they don't mention Vidui and they don't mention uh, 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 Kapara? I mean, like they say in the yeshiva, Ikar Hasid Menasefer. I mean, the main punchline of the speech is missing. 
But then I said to myself, this is an authentic dirashah. And if this is the topic he chose, it must be that this is the main topic for Teshuvah. This must be the bullseye of a dirashah. And I'll explain now. Now my intention is to explain why this is the perfect speech for Shabbat Shubha and before Kippur. I'd like to tell you a, a fact that I believe is true. Nobody ever changed by taking their fist and pounding on their chest and reciting the Vidui in alphabetical order and saying Hatati, Abiti, Pashati. That does not change anybody. It's an exercise, it's a ritual. The Mahzor says, take your fist, bang your heart, say the words, read Aseh, read Lota Aseh. It's very good. It's a motion. But this motion does not change people. If that's all you think Teshuvah is, the Mahzor of Yom Kippur never changed a person. You can read all 600 pages, it doesn't change you. So then where does the change take place? People only start to change when they start learning. When they start to come to Shi'ure Torah. When they start to have Sidarim, when they start to open up Sifarim, it is the Torah that brings the change. Then with the Vidui, Vidui gets rid of the sins. But to make the person different, to bring the person closer to God, only Torah does that. And that's why if you look in the fifth Berachah of the Amidah, which incidentally talks about Teshuvah, but how does that beracha begin? Hashivenu avinu letoratecha. First, God, give me the ability to return to the books, to the Torah, to the learning. And then, ha'azirenu betshuvah. But if there's teshuvah without Torah, it's not teshuvah. Return can only be for people that have the ability to change. And only people that are learning are interested in growth and changing. We had a guy in the shul many years ago when I was in Ahayezid. He used to give speeches during Sudash Yishit. Still do, but those days also. He would come, he would sit in the front row. Syrian guy. And he would enjoy the short. After a few months, he stopped coming. I saw him in the street. I said, Avi, you used to come to the Dirashot. I love the rabbi's Dirashot. Fantastic. I enjoy it from beginning to end. So why did you stop coming? He said, because it was changing me. <laughs> <laughs> He's an honest guy. I don't want to change. I'm happy. I'm middle of the road. I go here. I do this. You know, you were effective. Not you, the, the, your words were effective. Honest guy. He knew that if he continues to come to these classes, 
his life is going to change. His house is going to change. His children are going to have to go to different yeshivot. He's not going to be able to do what he's been doing till now. So he said, I have two options. Either they continue this process and then let it affect me because it's inevitable, or just close my ears and not to, not to come anymore. He took the wrong approach. But at least he was honest enough to say that this is something that's able to turn a person around. He had no problem with the Mahzor of Yom Kippur. He still came back for more. Because he knew going like this, uh, you go right back to what you want to do. The Mahzor of Yom Kippur did not interrupt his lifestyle. But the Gemara did. The Musar did. The Derasha did. Therefore, that he must resist at all costs. And that might explain, I mean, you read the Haftarah today. The Prophet Hoshea, when he's exhorting the Jewish people to make the Shuvah, what does he say? Shuvah Yisrael ad Hashem Elohecha. Ki chashalta ba'avonecha. He tells the people in the clearest terms, make the Shuvah. But in the second Pasuk, he tells us how to make the Shuvah. Where he says, devarim. To make the Shuvah, you must take Devarim. What is Devarim? devarim asher diber Hashem. These are the words that God spoke. Devarim is referring to the Devre Torah. You want to make the Shuvah? devarim. That's the prerequisite. And therefore, I don't think there's a better Shabbat Shuvah speech. This rabbi got right to the point. If kids get influenced as infants when they're in the Beit Midrash, adults certainly will get influenced. It'll change them. If the Torah can change an infant, it can change an adult. And if he was saying, go learn, then take your fist and bang. Hashivenu Abinu the Torah must come first. Then will follow. Shuvah Yisrael is the goal, but the way you get there is devarim. And you all know, if I were to ask you, when is the, or which day is the day of Matan Torah? Don't tell me Shavuot. Yeah, Shavuot, we got the Ten Commandments. And we got the promissory note that God said, stay tuned. More to come. And that more to come, which is the rest of the book, was supposed to be delivered on Shema Asad but Tammuz. It wasn't. It was Egin. There was an 80-day delay. So when did we receive the second set of tablets, which is the rest of the Torah, on Yom Kippur? So really Yom Kippur is Yom Matan Torah. Can I ask you a question? It's not a busy day enough. I mean, we have so much things going on on Yom Kippur. Yom the a 600-page mahzor. Now you got to add a matan Torah to it. Guess what? The month of Hajvan is blank. There's nothing going on in Hajvan. So therefore, we should make a matan Torah next month. We have a, an empty day on the calendar. No, we take the most, the busiest day of the year, the most full day, and now we add another watershed event, matan Torah also. Why pack everything all on the same day? And I think the explanation is simple. 
Because Torah is saying, yes, Yom Kippurim is the day of Mechilah, Sahabi Kapara, but the way you get it is through Matan Torah. This is the, the elixir. This is the way you reach it. Kippur without Matan Torah doesn't come. And therefore, if you'd ask me, Rabbi, what Kabbalah should I make this year for the coming year? Only Kabbalot should be in learning. More learning, more sedarim, more accept, and that'll change you automatically. That'll bring you closer to Hashem automatically. And the Yetzirah knows that. Therefore, I'll tell you, I do all sorts of things. Anything but learning. Because then he knows uh, it's not a, it won't be a permanent change. There's another speech. It's not 2,000 years old. It's only 30 years old. It was made by Rav Pam. Rosh Hashivah Torah Vadat. He made the speech at a convention at Aguda Israel. Pam Shalom was talking in the year 57-55, which he said was a difficult year for B'nai Israel. He talked about a lot of casualties that happened in Eretz Israel, a lot of children getting sick by Bermanan, a lot of sudden deaths. He said, I believe that Hashem loves us. That's a fact. But although Hashem loves us, He's angry at us. He said, we're living at a time where God is angry. I wonder 30 years later, I know Hashem still loves us. But it's possible that He's angry. You see, a father could love his child and be angry also at the child. This year we witnessed a lot of tragedies. We lost Gedolei Yisrael. We lost some of the greatest mashpi'im in Israel. We lost some of the greatest gomle hasadim, ma'isha hasadim. People that I thought were immune from, from any gizirot. And Boreolam took them. The three pillars. Amud Torah we lost. Chaim Kanievsky, Allah v'shalom. The Amud of Avodah. We lost the great Rabbi Wallerstein. And the Amud of Gimelut Hasadim, we lost my friend Yanki Mai, These were three pillars, each one in their own field. Besides all the other tragedies that go on, that we hear, especially as a rabbi, we hear a lot. So, Rapam, I think, if we had to get up today, he would say the same speech. He would say, Hashem definitely loves us, but he's angry. This is called Idan Ritha, a time of anger. So the Rosh Hashiva asked, when a father is angry, you must appease him. How do you appease a father? So he says, I'll tell you. We have a pasuk in the Torah that tells us how to appease an angry father. When Reuven came back to the pit, Reuven gave the advice to the brothers to throw yourself in the pit. His intention was to save him. When he came back to the pit, the Pasuk says, 
Vayar ki en Yosef kabor. He saw that Yosef wasn't in the board. The brothers already had sold them. So what does Reuven say? Hayeled enenu. The child is not here. The child is missing. Vani ana aniba. Where am I going to go? That she says, Lehechan evrah mitzaharoshil abba. My father is going to be in agony now that his child is missing. Where am I going to go? How am I going to explain this to my father? Says Rabbah, a father is in the agony when he sees his children missing. A missing child causes un, un, uh, 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 described pain to the parents. And the only way to mitigate that pain is to return the child to the father. And he said, when God looks at our generation and he sees so many children off the derech, and he sees so many teens that got involved in bad behavior, bad practice, bad culture, bad society, and he sees children that went to yeshiva and then go to college and turn woke in just a few months. But Olam says, what's going on with the next generation? And that causes Sa'ar to the Father in Heaven. And the only way to appease the Father in Heaven is to return his children back to him. And therefore our focus must be on teaching the youth. And if you think, well, they don't have to learn Torah, but they won't learn the other stuff. We'll just keep them pav, like Switzerland, neutral. They won't learn this, but they won't learn that either. You make a big mistake. Because the Pasuk says, When there's no water in the pit, something else is going to occupy that pit. Snakes and scorpions. When the child's brain is empty from the waters of Torah, it does not create an empty vacuum. Something is going to fill that space. Namely, Nahashim Akrabim. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Nahashim Akrabim outside. Whether it's in the social media that the kids became addicted to, which is a, a craze of the time. Social media is which is the Otiyot of the Satan, which is his creation. This is a sickness of our time. Besides the Bitul Zeman, I'm not talking about the waste of time, but what it does to their brains and to their self esteem and to their egos. And to what purpose? How sick has a society become? Somebody sitting in a restaurant eating spaghetti and meatballs, he takes a picture of himself, he puts it in, everybody says a thumbs up. Who's, to me, the guy who says thumbs up is even worse. <laughs> You're getting excited because somebody's eating spaghetti and meatballs? What does it excite you for? You're stopping everything you're doing and saying, yes, I, I love it, it's very good. What did he do? He ate spaghetti and meatballs. What kind of nonsense is this? The, the, the world has gone crazy. But this has become mainstream now. This has become normal. Anything we do becomes property of the Rishut Arabim. And everybody knows what's going on. The waste of time on, 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 on these frivolity things, which are harmful. I saw a man on the train once, a few years ago. Good guy from the community, good guy. He was an older guy. I was sitting across to him. He had his phone there. I can't tell what he's doing, but I just see him. 
His fingers going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What could he be doing over here? And he was very, very focused. I said, you know what, I want to see you. He got my curiosity. I got up, I walked. I see fruit falling from the Shamayim. <laughs> and I just saw, I see a watermelon coming from the Shamayim, a banana coming from the Shamayim, an apple, a kiwi. And this guy is like a samurai. He's, he's, cutting, the, he's cutting the perot. <laughs> I told him, you, you have no busha. You're not embarrassed of yourself. You're a grandfather. This is what you become now. You want to do this, do this in, in, in the privacy of your home. Shut the lights, go under the table. But you're acting like a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like, 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 like an imbecile, cutting fruit. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? And as I'm giving the musad, he's pushing. Wait, wait, wait. One second. One second. One second. One second. There's a. The next board, I have to get to the next board. What is this over here? It's not two bishmat. What are you cutting your <laughs> But this becomes a generation. So what do you expect from the children? If the parents are cutting, falling fruit, what could you expect from the children? I said, why don't you take a Mishnah? Why don't you take a Mishnah? Learn Mishnah, learn Gemara, learn Mishnah Brula, learn Hafez Haim, so there's a train, you can learn, you can become a Tamin Acham. What is this going to bring you? Bitul Zeman. You have grandchildren, granddaughters to marry off. What's going to be with this over here? This is the generation we live in. What should I tell you? So God says, Children are being lost to all sorts of addictions and things. It's only because they're not learning. When you take the children and the adults out of learning, you're going to get into trouble. The world is a magnetism. There's a pull. There's a gravitational pull to bed. And if you don't have a counter force against it, by doing nothing, you'll get sucked in. That's the mitzvah. If you're a parent, you should demand it, that your children should have strict sedarim in learning. In the yeshivas, and that your husbands and the men, ladies as well, learning Torah is the only way that we're going to be able to survive this generation. It's the only survival for any generation, but all the more so this generation. So if anybody's interested in relieving Tsarosh al Abba, return the children back to God. The children that are missing, missing in action, and the adults as well. And therefore I believe that that speech of the great Rabbi Rabbi Al-Azhar bin Azariah on that Shabbat Shubah, 2,000 years ago in the yeshiva, was the most practical. He basically was saying, yeah, Bidu is important, all that stuff is nice. But Talmud Torah can make it kulam. I saw brought down in one of the Sifarim that there's a remez, that that's why there's five inuyim that are asur on Yom Kippur. There's five things that are forbidden on Yom Kippur. And the reason that the five are forbidden, it's connected the neglect to the five books of the Torah. So because we neglected the Hamisha Hamshe Torah, as a tikkun, we need to afflict ourselves in five different ways. So therefore again we see that there's the connection between Talmud Torah and Yom Kippurim. I must tell you another Gemara in conclusion. 
which I think is also germane to this talk. This comes from the Gemara in Yoma on page 19. You know, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, especially the second Beit HaMikdash, you had a group of Jews that were called Sidukim. You heard about the Sidukim? Not Sadikim. They were far from Sadikim. They were actually the Sha'im. But they called themselves Sadukim. They didn't believe in Torah Shabbat Peh. They didn't believe in tradition. They believed in reading the text literal. It's almost, I don't, know, I don't know if we have a group like that today. Today we would call them the conservative or the reform. Or, I mean, I think the Tzedukim knew a little more. They corrupted the Torah. That's what they have in common, all corruption. Tzedukim, they would read a pasuk. They would read it. You're not allowed to have a fire in your house on Shabbat even if you turned it on before Shabbat. So if you ever get invited to a tzeduchi in the winter, don't go, because he doesn't have heat in his house on Shabbat. You'll freeze to death. And for lunch, you're going to get cold food. That's why the Rosh says our custom is to have hamin. Why do we have hamin? Because the only way you could have hot food on Shabbat morning is if you left the fire on the night before. And therefore, by eating hamin, you show you're not a tzeduki. And the Rosh says, anybody that doesn't eat hamin on Shabbat, you better check his lineage. Maybe he's a tzeduki. <laughs> why, why, don't you, why are you having cornflakes for Shabbat? <laughs> Tzedukim have cornflakes. The tzedukim, they have hamin, because they want to keep the fire on. If you went to a tzeduki's house at the end of Shabbat, what do they do? They shut the lights. That's why the rabbis instituted halakat nero Shabbat. We go into Shabbat, Dafka, we light the Nero. To show, you're allowed to have light on the house of Shabbat. Anyway, there was one of the biggest mahlukot between the Tzedukim and the rabbis. It had to do with the Amudat Yom Kippurim. What was the mahlukot? We all know that the Amudat Yom Kippur is to bring the Ketoret into the Kodesh, Kodeshim. So how do we do it? The traditional. We bring a pan of coals, we bring the ketoret, we bring it into the Kodesh Kodeshim, we pour the ketoret on the coals, and then the smoke wafts up, and from there it spreads and fills the whole house. Tzedukim have a different interpretation. They say, no, before the Kohen Gadol gets into the Kodesh Kodeshim, before the curtain, he pours the ketoret on the coals, and the smoke starts to waft outside of the Kodesh Kodeshim, and he comes in already when it's smoking. That's the Malokim. To the extent, in the second Beit HaMikdash, we were concerned that maybe the Kohanim, some of them, are going to follow Tzeduki practice. So if you look in the Mahzor of Yom Kippur in Musaf, it says, they would make the Kohen Gadol swear, Mashbi'imoto, He's under oath, that he will not deviate. He must say, yes, I take an oath, I swear to God, I will not deviate, because nobody can see what he's doing, because he's alone when he does the service. So we must make him take a, a, a shivu'ah hamura, 
that it will follow traditional practice. Good. Can I ask you a question? There must be a philosophical understanding of this mahlukit. Why do we hold the way we hold and why do they hold the way they hold? There's a philosophical argument here. There are those that believe that the Torah is great, but it's dated. It was good for the generation that it was given. But be real, we're 3,500 years later, and there hasn't been an upgrade. If you have a, a smartphone, every couple of months, 14.0, 15.0, 18.0, they keep on upgrading, it gets smarter. The Torah, as far as we know, hasn't gotten one upgrade. We're still following 1.0. So the Tzidukim say, listen, Torah is good for its time, but it needs to, exactly, it needs to adapt, it needs to have an upgrade, it needs to be modified. The Torah needs to uh, conform to the social norms. And then we look at what society is involved in, we look at what the world believes right and wrong is, and therefore the Torah, as a result, needs to adjust itself to be politically correct, to be politically sound, to be accepted. And that's why the Tzidukim, when they light the Ketoret, they light it outside from the Kodesh Kodashim, because their philosophy is that the aroma must come from the outside. And then it blows into the Kodesh Kodashim that the outside, the secular society must influence the religious society. But is the secular, what they're teaching you in the college and what they're teaching you on the outside, that's the aroma. And from there it'll go into the Kodesh. And we'll adapt our Kodesh based on what's going on on the outside. And the Tzaddikim, the Pirushim say, Hatma Shalom. It's exactly the opposite. The Torah must call the order of the day. And our lives must be influenced primarily from the Kodesh. And it's from there that the aroma emanates. And it influences from the inside out. That our lives in the secular world must be influenced from the Kodesh. The Kodesh is a staple. The Kodesh is a standard. It doesn't change. Those that think that we're able to modernize the Torah, and they believe that some of the Torah is not relevant, they subscribe to Tzidduki philosophy. They believe that the main Ketorit is on the outside, and let the outside influence the inside. There's a question they're going to ask us after 120 years. In the Vedin. Kavata itim na Torah. And the simple explanation of that question is, did you set aside times for the Torah? Did you have a set? Did you set times for Torah? It's a simple question. Did you learn every day at a fixed time? But I once explained it differently. We all live in our times. 
we must not set the times or we must not set the Torah according to the times. We set the times according to the Torah. And the question is, Kabata etim la Torah? Did you set the times that you're living in based on Torah? Or did you say, you know what? I'm going to set Torah on the etim. That's the big question. Did you come along and say, well, come on, listen, uh, we don't believe in that, it's so old. Therefore, we need to make uh, certain uh, changes. That's Kabata Torah La'itim. We never Kabata Torah La'itim. We have to be Koveya Itim La Torah. And that's why when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh Kodeshim, what does it say? Ve'al yavo bechol et el Kodesh. Don't bring kol et. Don't bring the times into the Kodesh. The times and the values and the norms of society have no place in the Kodesh. Ve'al yavo bechol et el Kodesh. On the contrary, the Kodesh goes to the Et. It all must originate from the inside and then go out. And therefore, we go back to our point. We must recommit ourselves to pure, authentic, undiluted learning of the Torah like our grandfathers and grandmothers studied in the old countries with no additives and no preservatives, and no changes. Like it was given to us at Sinai. Once you start playing with the recipe, it doesn't have the same medicinal and remedial qualities. If we want the Torah to remedy us, and inoculate us, and protect us, and to bring us closer, you must make sure that you're taking the right, the right concoction. But once you start playing with it, and now it's already a diluted and it's a different version of it, then Hasbe Shalom, it won't work. As a matter of fact, the Tzedukim had a, a fake version. Anybody ever meet a Tzeduki? You didn't. You know why? Because they all faded away. Because when you take the fake version, it doesn't hold them. They drifted into oblivion. And you know who survived? The tzaddikim, the pirushim. Only those that take the authentic version are able to withstand the times. And therefore my message to Kahal Kadosh is the message of Rabbi Azab bin Azariah. Why do the children come to Hakel? There's no benefit. There is a benefit. That the parents will have children that will learn Yerat Shamayim from osmosis and learn the lesson of Rabbi Yoshua and the lesson of Rabbi Azar that led everybody into the yeshiva because he said that if Torah can affect an infant all the more so it can affect an adult Hashibenu abinu letoratecha first and then v'azirenu but it must be the Torah like we got it at Sinai the itim are subject to the Torah and not the opposite. And if that's the case, then banging your heart can bring you closer to God. Matan Torah is Yom Kippur because that's the starting point. And then the destination will be Teshuvah Shalemah.
שבוע טוב ותזכו לשנים רבות.